tonight. Glad you're here. We have gathered in the name of Jesus and thankful that he's right here in our midst and we don't want to take that for granted. We don't want to forget about that because that's an important part of who we are. We have a dynamic going on here with the living God who chooses to meet with us when we gather. And so we recognize his presence tonight and ask him take a moment to ask him for uh, his help as we look into the Bible. Father, thank you for uh, just this opportunity to gather. We thank you for the space, and we thank you, God, for your provision over us. We ask that uh, you would just be in our midst, Jesus, and lead us and guide us tonight. We pray you would empower us. I pray, God, revelation, revelation to come. I pray that you would speak to us and individually bring revelation. You would speak to us and, God, open our hearts and minds. Help us to be ready to receive what you want to say and what you want to do. So tonight, we ask that you'd have your way. Uh, Jesus, we ask that you'd be glorified. I pray, God, that you would anoint this time your word and the teaching tonight. We give you thanks. Give you thanks for your presence. Give you thanks for being here. Give you thanks for empowering this time. Ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tonight we have received an email. Uh, it was from some of the people who listen to our Bible study on a weekly basis. It's from Tom and Lori at Shea UCF and their kinship in Senegal, the southern part of Senegal. And uh wanted me to share uh, just that they had had we've been praying earnestly that God would bring people out to their kinship new people and infuse it with some fresh people and so uh, she wanted to just send a word of testimony about him doing just that and answering our prayers and so it's always good when God answers prayer and we take some time to thank him for that and so uh, she starts off she says thank you for your guys prayers we had a great turnout for our kinship outing today. We were nine total with three new people. They had a newly married couple and James from the neighborhood. We started the day with eating together at Shea UCF, followed by games and tea making by Gilbert, Gilbert. Then we piled into onto motorcycles and taxis for the fancy dancy hotel for coffees and sodas. Abdullah took the afternoon off. Mom took the day off and brought her son for the fun. Mr. Chat got off work and met us for the fancy time. Stresses of life vanished and peace and simple times were enjoyed. A few really good conversations amidst the fun. While we were there, we even rubbed shoulders with Daldal Ka. He's a candidate for the Ziggenshore Mayor's Office. Lots of fun. And uh, they sent some pictures to Martha. So I just wanted to share that. I didn't have a chance to uh, share that yesterday, and uh, but uh, 
So answers to prayer, so be encouraged to continue in prayer. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah chapter 8. And I need a volunteer to read verse 23. Zechariah 8.23 Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of a robe of two, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Alright, thanks. And the picture that is being portrayed here, and I often say this, and I want to remind you of this, that the Bible is often written in such a way that they want to draw a picture. For the reader. In other words, they, they want you to see what's happening. And so many times certain language is used to draw a particular picture of what's going on. And it's important for us to read it that way because uh, sometimes I think we read the Bible like it's a textbook, but it's not. It's not a textbook. Uh, it's a book of poetry. It's a book of songs. It's, it's a book, uh, yeah, history, but even in the midst of the history, uh, many times they're drawing pictures for people to experience the history and not just read about it. It's not just lists of dates and times, although there's a few genealogies in there that can get kind of tiresome. But uh, they want us to see something. They want us to see what's going on, especially in the prophets. And that's what, who we're with. Zechariah is a prophet, and, and he's drawing us a picture. And, and the picture is of a believer that's on his way somewhere. He's going about a journey. And as he's going about the journey, people that were unbelievers were running up to him and they were just grabbing hold of him saying, can we go with you? And they were joining him in his journey. And so that, that's the picture that he was trying to draw. It's like, okay, well, the believer's heading along and you got all these people that are coming along and they're coming from all over the place. They're, they're coming from every tongue. They're coming from every tribe. They're just, just coming up and saying, hey, can we go with you? And they're grabbing hold of his garment in order to do that. And they're just following along with him to go wherever he's going. And so that's the picture that they want us to have uh, of this. And what God is saying, it starts with us, and it starts with God speaking here. And what God is saying, thus saith the Lord, thus saith God, is God saying, this is my plan. This is my purpose. This is my will. This is what I have for you. And and one of the things that we need to do, and, and I, I, I know this should be obvious, and I know this should just be something that I don't even really need to say, 
but I want to encourage you. I'm going to say something tonight about this, and this is true just about every time we're talking about this is what God says. We need to find ourselves in our lives coming into agreement with what He's saying. In other words, to, to find a place in our life, not just to store it as information, or not just to have it as a reference, but to actually come into agreement in our life with the things that God says, especially when it concerns us. Like This is what God says about our life. God says about our life that we're going to be like believers, like this believer that's just going on his journey. He's going along in his life, and people are going to run up to us, going to run up to you and me, and they're going to grab hold of our garment and say, can I go with you? And to be not only like aware that that's what he says, but to actually have an expectation in our life that people are going to run up to us, that people are going to grab hold of our garment, and that people are going to want to go with us. They're going to want to experience that life with us that they see we're having, that they're understanding that we're a part of. And they're going to want to experience that with us. And so we need to have some kind of an expectation set that this, okay, this is what God says about me. This is what God says about my life. And to begin to set that in our heart, begin to set that in our spirit that this is who God says that we are. And accept that. And, and you, you know, you can think to yourself, well, I'm not that popular. Well, maybe not. I'm not that kind of a person that people run up to me and want to spend time with me. Well, God can do anything. And, and regardless of how you feel about it or regardless of what you think about yourself, and, I, and I'll give you a little something about this, a lot of times you're wrong about who you think you are. You're just wrong about it. And you see yourself in some kind of warped or weird way that isn't really true. And so you may be putting off this vibe like, you don't want to hang out with me. You don't know. Because you might believe that. And you're putting that vibe off and then people don't want to hang out with you. Well, that's a surprise, right? You know, but if you have a vibe about you, like a, a Holy Spirit vibe, like a Jesus vibe about you, like people want to hang out with me. I expect them to hang out with me, not because of who I am, because this is what God says, this is my life. And to accept that word and take that word home into your spirit and take that word home into your heart, you might be surprised at what might change in your life if you believe God more than you believe yourself. Something really, really, really good might change in your life and in how you're going about things and what you're seeing in your life if you can really believe God instead of whatever lies you've been brought up with. Because you're all, we all, we've all been brought up with lies in our life. All of us, every single one of us. And so, some of those we were able to cast off early. Some of those we, we're going to believe. All right? And that's just the way it is. You know, when I was a kid, I think I've told you this before, I was a little bit crazy. I don't know if that comes as a surprise to anybody, but I had this little crazy thing going on where, and this was all the way up into grade school, and probably I was in 10, 11, 12 years old. I believed that everybody knew something about me, but they were keeping it a secret. Like there was, there was this huge conspiracy going on, and they, and they could all hear my thoughts. I believed that all my thoughts were out loud, and they could all hear them, but no one would tell me, because they all had this pact that they weren't going to tell me. Now, does that sound a little crazy? Yeah, right? So I had this thing. So it was a belief I had as a little kid. Everybody could hear my thoughts. They're not telling me it's a conspiracy, man. They, 
They all, they all, you know, they're, just, they're all good at it, too. And so I reached a point, I reached an age where I realized that there's no way they could keep a secret that long. I just figured it out. And I had friends that if they knew if that was really happening, they would have told me. And so when I reached that age and I finally came to that conclusion, I'm like, yeah, this is impossible. That, that's stupid. I was able to dismiss that out of my life and not think about it again. Right? Until I catch people now when they know what I'm thinking. Then I know it's still there. So No, I'm just kidding. No, I dismissed it and I never thought about it again. That was done. All right? And so we're able to dismiss certain things, certain childish things out of our life that maybe we believed about ourselves or we believed about the world or we believed about you know, people around us. Like you may have when you were really little, it used to be popular that parents would tell their kids the moon was made of. Anybody know? Cheese. They'd say that, right? And so you might have believed that for a little while, but then at a certain point you realized the moon wasn't really made of cheese and you dismissed that. And so you were able to dismiss certain things. So that's good when you're able to dismiss certain things, but but there are other things that you still can't see. And there's other things that you still don't know about or you still haven't come to that place where you can dismiss it yet. And so that's what's important that when God says something about us, and we've been looking at the prophets speaking, speaking to God's people, speaking to the people that He calls, speaking to the people that He anoints, speaking to the people that He comes into relationship with. We've been looking at those things. Well, we have to, it behooves us to accept those things and believe Him instead of just counting on the fact we see everything about ourselves because we don't. And we're going to continue to live in deception as long as we don't allow the truth to displace it in our lives. And by the truth, I mean God, His Word, what He has for you, what He says about you. That's the truth. And as you will allow that to displace the lies in your life, you will have a better understanding and a better view of who you are. You just will. Now, I have an example of the picture they gave. I was thinking about this earlier today. And I have more than one example. I'm just going to share one of people just coming alongside, grabbing hold of your garment and wanting to follow you. And this happens sometimes when we're on missions trips where we'll just be somewhere, and as we're in that place, there'll be somebody that'll come along, or a group of people that'll come along, and they'll, like, grab hold of our garment, and they just want to hang out. They just want to be with us. And that happened to us one time. We were in Algeria, and we were walking around and looking for a specific youth hostel in Algiers. And we must have walked, and this is no exaggeration, full packs on, we were walking, like, eight miles urban hiking, all right, so, and it's a hilly town, I mean, it's not flat, up and down hills, we went to where, went all the way out to where this youth hostel was supposed to be, get there, I mean, it was so far, it was much further away than what it was advertised as, get there, and there's a sign on it, opening January of the next year, okay, of the year we were in, so they weren't even open. Now, I got it right out of a book. It was like right out of a lonely planet I got it out of. I'm like, how can that happen? Thanks a lot, lonely planet, you know, whatever. So we're walking back, and this guy comes along. He's like, hey, can I you know, help you? He spoke a little bit of English, but he spoke French, really good French. So, hey, we'll talk to him for a second, and it's like, hey, we, you know, this is what we're looking for. We need a place. He's like, just come with me. 
All right? And so we, we went with him. And he went in. We found a hotel. He went in and negotiated the price, everything, set us up in the room, hung out with us. And he's like, I'll be back later. And so then he came back, and he just hung out with us the whole time we were in Algiers. Then he brought a friend one day. And then after him and his friend were hanging out in Algiers, like, we're going to head east. We're going to go toward Tunisia. And so they're like, all right, well, can we come with you? Like, well, we're going to go on a train and a bus and stuff. Yeah, yeah, can we come with you? I mean, these are, these are you know, young people living in, in Algiers, you know. And like, sure. And so they hopped on the train with us. They came with us. And then we had to change from the train, and we had to get on a bus in a town. So they hopped on the bus with us. They went with us. Right? They followed us wherever we went. And then when we got to the end of the bus line, we got arrested by the police and escorted out of the country. But we did say goodbye before we were leaving, and we were on the bus. We were able to pray with them to know Jesus. These are kids that have been brought up Muslim their whole lives. We were able to pray with them and say, hey, you want to know Jesus? Yeah. And pray with them. But I think that's what got kicked, kicked out of the country. Because there were so many people around, somebody must have reported us, they met us right at the bus station. We got off the bus and we were gone. We were packed into cars and gone. All the way to the border with Tunisia. That was it. We said goodbye. You know what? They kept in contact with us. Next time we were in Algeria, guess who met us at the airport? That kid. Yeah. And he hung out with us the next time we were in Algeria too. And so now he's living in London and he keeps in contact with me and wants me to come visit in London. Because you know what? He'll hang out with me in London, too. So, this is something that is real. It's not theoretical. It's not something that's just like, oh, yeah, you know, the Bible says that, but... There's no but. There's no but. And I could give you other examples of other countries we've been in and other places that we've been where people just come and they just hang out. They follow us wherever we go. And, and it's just uh, something that we've grown to expect. It's something we've grown to know. It's something we've grown that this is the way that it is. And it's good. And so as I read this passage, I mean, that's what I began to think of. All of those times. All those times that this exact thing has happened. Different languages, different cultures, different countries different people, just like it says, unbelievers, that see something. What do they see? I don't know. Something. They see something. And they grab hold of our garment and they're with us. See, God uses us to carry His grace and to carry His mercy. That's what He uses us. And it's powerful. There's something powerful in the world that we live in, especially some of the harsher places in the world that we live in. There's something powerful about grace and mercy. There is. Something that, that people respond to as we speak and we act and we represent and we apply and we model Jesus in our lives. We just live. But there's something to that that people want and that people respond to. Interestingly, in this passage, the unbelievers are the ones finding the believer. You know, a lot of times we go out looking, right? Well, they actually, in this passage, prophetically, they're finding us. 
you know, part of the, the, the prayer that we pray when we do evangelism is we pray that God would draw from every direction to where? To wherever we are. That God would draw people. That God would bring people our way. Well, He's doing that. That's what He does. We're agreeing with Him in prayer when we pray that. It's not just us asking for something out of the blue. It's Him saying, this is what I'm going to do. And then we're agreeing with Him every time we pray those things. And what do you know when you pray God's will? What do you know about it? If you pray God's will, what's going to happen? It's done. That's right. Absolutely. And so we know we're praying God's will and it's done. And the way I see things many times, many days, the way I see things is that I'm just praying for God to bring people where you find them or where they can find you. All right? So they'll be in the path. They'll be in the way. God will be leading you to a certain place, whatever, but bringing people your way. And if you've ever had this happen to you when you prophesied over somebody, you prayed over somebody, but you've extended that grace and that mercy to them, them just staying with you sometimes or wanting to stay with you or wanting to, to hang out a little longer or wanting, you're thinking, i got to get to more people and they're just standing there talking to you. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because there's something attractive about that and there's something that, that God brings them your way for those reasons. And it, the way they're described, I know it says 10, but 10 isn't really, it's a solid number, but it's not really what that number's for. That number's to describe lots of people. That's what that number's there to describe. And so it's many people from all nations and languages. And, and that means that these many people from languages and nations and, and, and different remote places and all the places God's going to draw people and bring people, it's like nobody is excluded from that. Nobody. If you think about people in the world, it's like, well, who would be excluded from this? Nobody. People are people, even in mean countries. People are still people. And so you can't really look at the world that way. You can't really look at the world, oh, they're mean there. You know what? You can go to any country you think is mean, and those people are still going to just be people. And they're going to be as needy, and they're going to be as friendly, and they're going to be as hospitable as people you find, or even more so than people you find elsewhere. Because that's just the way it is. Like, you think about places, like places, I can talk to you about places we've been. Where do you think's mean? Do you think Pakistan's mean? Maybe Pakistan's mean. But I found some really super hospitable people in Pakistan. People that took care of us, and people that took, took us places, and people that fed us, and people that looked out for us when we were there. People that stuck with us the whole time we were there would, would go with us wherever we would go, come with us, and, and, and we're sad to see us go. We're hanging on to us. We're trying to leave. That's who we met there. Those aren't mean people. Those are people people. And it's important for us to understand that. Even countries you don't think are friendly. Let's say you don't think China's friendly because they come off not friendly maybe to you in your brain. Well, we've met some of the friendliest people we've ever met in China. And people that hang on to us and people that want to be with us and people that want to go do things with us all the time. That's who we meet there. They're people. They're people. You know, even sitting on the border of, well, you name a place, Iran. We've been sitting on the border of Iran. We're in Azerbaijan just sitting right at the, the frontier. Friendly people everywhere. 
people that want to talk to us, people that want to know us, people that want to drink tea with us, spend time with us. You see, we, we need to look at the world sometimes differently. No one's excluded. And we need to allow for ourselves to be hospitable as people come and they grab hold of our garment and they want to spend time with us. Most of the time, it's not that people don't want to spend time with us. We just don't think we have any time. And so we brush them off and we tell them, go away, kid. Yeah, well, what what more important thing do we have to do than pour into people? I don't know. It seems important at the time, but in the face of eternity, what's more important? I don't know. It seems like that's super important to me. And so we need to be in a position or putting ourselves in a position that when people notice us, as, you know, the Bible calls us living epistles, where those living letters that God made us into, and when people notice that and they want more, then we need to be available. And so I say this to you, and to me, I say it as much to me as I say it to you, is that we need to be available for that. We need to be those living epistles that the Bible says that we are. We need to accept that into our heart, into our spirit. We need to accept that I'm a living epistle. I'm that living letter. God is, is, is communicating through my life to the people around me. Do I have time for God to communicate through my life to the people around me? I hope so. I hope so. I hope when the God of the universe wants to use you as a messenger, when the God of the universe wants to use you as an example, when the God of the universe wants to speak truth through your life, even if it's just hanging out with somebody and, and, and maybe not even talking, just hanging out with them and spending time, when He wants to do that, then I hope we can come to a place in our life where we have nothing better to do. And so when people notice this as those living uh, living epistles, you know, I'll say this too. Zeal does not replace a personal experience. Because there's lots of people, you know, you can display zeal at certain moments and certain times, but zeal will never replace a personal experience with somebody else. It just doesn't. You can be as excited as I'll get out, you know, at certain times, but that will never replace time spent and personal experience with somebody. It can't. And so we have this picture of of these unbelievers grabbing the clothing. Now, do you think of anything when I say that, grabbing the hem of your garment? What do you think of with that? Jesus. What was the example of that? Okay, there was a woman that had the issue of blood, right? Is one example of that. And she grabbed the hem of his garment. She touched the hem of his garment. And when she touched the hem of his garment, the Bible tells us that, that, that virtue, that power, flowed from him. And then she was instantly healed. And Jesus knew they had been touched. And so he said, well, who touched the hem of my garments? And the disciples were like, what? There's a huge crowd around you. Who knows? 
the way I want you to see this, and biblically, when you read about that, touching the hem of someone's garment, it's a way of asking for help. That's what it is. It's a way of asking for assistance. And so when the Bible describes these unbelievers touching the hem of our garment as believers, it's them asking for help. It's them asking for assistance in their life. <coughs> Let's look at a few scriptures here. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 14, verses 35 and 36. When you get there, you can read that. Okay, did you remember ever reading that before? Okay, because yeah, I want you to think about that for a second. We know about the woman with the issue of blood, right? Well, what about this, where it describes the whole situation where this is likely something that happened just about everywhere that Jesus went. Okay? That they would bring the sick, and they would just beg to touch the hem of his garment so they could be healed. Because you know, that's the way you ask for help. That's the way you ask for assistance, is you touch the hem of his garment. You touch his garment. And they were healed. So, let's look at Luke 6.14. Or 6.19. Try that. One of those. You remember reading that? <laughs> no, think about it for a second. I mean, this is this is a something that happened in the life of Jesus where the multitudes were coming around him, like I said, touching his garment because they're asking for help, assistance, and they were healed. Power flowed from him when they touched his garment. And so, in a lot of ways... Pentecost, the day of Pentecost that we know of in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost was a reversal of the Tower of Babel. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that the church, fulfilled in the church, fulfilled through the church, is that we can speak, the church can speak, with one voice. Now, what does that mean? What that means is, think about what happened on the day of Pentecost. Mighty wind blew through the upper room. Tongues of fire appeared over their heads. And what happened? And they began to speak in tongues. Well, they couldn't understand each other. So they went out on the street prophesying, right? Speaking in tongues. But people understood them. How? Huh. I'm a firm believer, and, and I've studied this for a lot of years, and you can disagree with me all you want, I don't care. I just, I've come to certain conclusions about this. I'm a firm believer that the miracle on the day of Pentecost was in the hearing and not in the speaking only. I believe there's a miracle in the speaking that they could speak in tongues, but I believe that each man heard them speaking, is what the Bible says, 
in his own language. So I believe that as they were speaking in tongues, they couldn't understand each other. But each person that was there from other countries, other nations, other parts of the world, speaking different languages, each of them could hear them speaking in his own language. That's what I believe. And so I believe that there was a real miracle in the hearing of that. That it wasn't just a miracle in the speaking, it was a miracle in the hearing. And I've had personal experience with at least twice where that's happened. Where we've, had, we've been somewhere, uh, it happened in Brazil. We were in Brazil and uh, we were praying over people at an altar call. At a big huge tent meeting, tent held like 5,000 people. And we're praying over people at the altar call. And there's a girl that was with us, and she was praying in tongues. I could hear her praying in tongues because I was just overseeing what was going on as we're ministering to people. She was praying in tongues. I could hear it. Same tongues I always hear praying. Now you know when people pray in tongues, you can kind of recognize because they kind of do the same. You know you know what their tongues sound like. I've, I've been around her enough. I knew what her tongues sound like. So she's just praying in tongues. Everybody's praying in tongues. People began to fall out in the power of the Holy Spirit as she was touching them and praying over them. It's because they said later that she was prophesying over them and they heard her speaking in Portuguese. Yeah, Portuguese. That girl couldn't speak Portuguese. And she wasn't speaking Portuguese. I heard what she was doing. She was speaking in tongues. I, I didn't understand her tongues. But they understood her to be prophesying over them in Portuguese and the power of God was just falling on them, and they were just falling out. You know, kind of like that Benny Hinn video from YouTube, let the bodies hit the floor, like that. Yeah. And the same thing had happened, uh, we were in Thailand. And the team was in Thailand, prophesying, or speaking in tongues at a minister's meeting. And as the person was speaking in tongues at the minister's meeting, these ministers, these, these men began to weep and cry, a certain section of the room. And got done with it, asked the question, well, what's going on? They heard that person, they heard her speaking their remote Thai dialect from the mountains they were from and knew she couldn't be doing that, knew God was speaking to them. Because it was impossible for her to know that language. And they, they perceived the miracle that was happening right there as God was speaking to them. And so there was a, a Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. I really believe that the Holy Spirit reversal of the Tower of Babel where God confused all their languages and they couldn't understand. Well, God gives us language that He can make anybody to understand. He can open up anybody's ears to hear it and to understand it and to know it. And so there's a supernatural reversal of what had happened there given us a voice, a voice. Somebody look at Isaiah 66, 18. Alright, and so prophesying here from Isaiah, 
is this whole idea of him gathering from everywhere, that no one is excluded. And I want to emphasize that because, again, people are people are people. And no one's excluded from this. No one's excluded from what God wants to do. No one's excluded from how God wants to move. No one's excluded about who God is calling and, and who God is bringing about. No one. No one. And so when somebody grabs a hold of you, they're not excluded. They're included. When someone asks you for that help and they grab hold of your garment, they want assistance, they want to come with you, they're included. And you have to see them that way. You have to know that. So ultimately, it's all nations. Ultimately, it's it's every tribe, every nation, every language. And they're all included in what God is doing and what God wants to do. That includes, you know, people that you think are impossible to reach. Well, the whole Muslim world. They're not impossible to reach because they're people. You know, I purposely picked Algeria to talk to you about because I wanted you to know those boys in Algeria, man, they came, they're young men, but they came and they followed us across that country. And they came to know Jesus followed us across that country. And, and we go out and we do evangelism in, in, in places like Islamic republics. It's against the law, but we do it. And people respond, and people pray, and people want to know Jesus. It's okay. We go and do evangelism on Chinese universities. It's illegal there. We know that. But every time we go and do evangelism on Chinese universities, you know what? People respond. They want to know Jesus. Even if we can't even speak Chinese, which sometimes, it's been a couple times, been just me and Martha, or me, Martha, and somebody over there, and we just had to make do. It's nice when you have a translator. Still people respond. Still. So I, I, I just want to say that, that this is for everybody. And, and for the church to just exclude a whole group of people because, well, they're harder. Well, are they? They're just as needy as the next guy. That's the truth. And so we need to get in there. We need to give them the opportunity. Because if they see us, they, they're around us, they're going to grab hold of us, they're going to want to know. I really believe that. And we can leave a remnant there of people that know Jesus, that love Jesus, that are full of His mercy and His grace. They're going to grab hold of them and they're going to want to know. And it's going to grow. It's going to grow. And so we want to leave a remnant. We want to leave a few people. We want to leave a seed. And people see that. They experience that. They they, they come across that. They, they respond to that. That's how it goes. Ultimately, this was fulfilled in Jesus. You know, you think about Jesus and his ministry and the people that followed him around, the multitudes that followed him. It, it was fulfilled in him. So I look at Psalm 86 9. Psalm 86 9. Alright, so so that was being fulfilled even when Jesus was on the earth and it's still being fulfilled today. That's a word you can take to the bank. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess what? Yeah, to the glory of God the Father. Take it to the bank. That's what's going to happen. And He's in the process of drawing. He's in the process where 
You just see people coming along. They want to know. They want to know. They want to know. They need something. They, they, they want something different. And so ultimately it's fulfilled in Jesus, but that extends to us because Jesus is in us. So this is being fulfilled through Jesus in us. That's what's going on if you allow it, if you believe it. If you stop listening to lies long enough to believe the truth, then you realize Jesus is in you and that makes something attractive about you to a lost, dying, desperate, harassed world. Your mercy, the grace that's in you through Him is attractive to them and they're going to grab hold of that. They want it. You're thinking, well, I don't think they want it. Well, if you got that attitude, probably don't. Have you ever try to sell something? You ever try to sell anything in your life? You think about it. Like even as a kid, you get a box of candy, right? And you gotta sell the candy because you're part of the drama club or a sports team or something like that. It's for the uniform. It's for the kids. So you go up to somebody with a box of candy. It's like I gotta sell this candy because of my sports team. You don't want any, probably. Well, let me see what you got. I just got stupid, like, almond and regular. Dark chocolate, milk chocolate. You don't want any of that. Am I doing a good job of selling? No. Right? Because I don't believe it. I don't think anybody wants my candy. And so if I'm this way, I'm going to sell it because I don't think anybody wants it. Guess what? A lot of people don't want it. Well, if you're living your life in such a way that you don't want me. You don't want Jesus. If that's the way you're going to live your life, a lot of people are going to look at you and say, you're right. I don't want you and I don't want Jesus. But if we accept the truth of what God says, we accept the truth of what He's proclaimed, what He's prophesied, what the prophets have said over us, we begin to accept that. That becomes attractive. You become attractive. Jesus is attractive. And you're allowing Him to be attractive through you. Even if you're not physically attractive or uh, socially attractive, I don't know how to say this. Maybe you're not, but he is. Let him be through you. Accept it. Accept the truth of that so that you can live in that truth. So I look at Ephesians 4.13. Anybody? Until we all reach unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Right. So there's Jesus in us. He's in us. Maybe not we don't have the full measure. In other words, we don't understand everything. We haven't accepted everything. But what that describes to us is a process of accepting Christ in us. And what that really means. There is a fullness that God wants to bring us to of understanding of what it means that Christ is in me, Christ is in you. But we need to start that somewhere. We need to believe in what He's telling us. We need to believe for the truth that He's given us and not just accept the lies. We're going to go back to this again. 
if you choose to live in the lies that you're brought up through as a childhood, you're brought up with, even through your adolescence, and that's what you're going to choose to live in, well, that's all you got. But Jesus is in you. And there's a fullness of knowledge, there's a fullness of understanding that God wants to bring you into as to what that means, Jesus in you. And so allow that process to take place. Allow that truth, the truth of who He is in you, the truth of what He wants to do through you, let that begin to displace the lies that have plagued you and held you back and down. Come into a fullness, more of a fullness of understanding. Come into a place of more fully accepting the truth of what God says instead of what you believe. Because there are a lot of times those two things, they don't match up. But He tells you the truth. And those truths can, those truths, that truth can displace lies in your life. And I don't mean over years, I mean over minutes. There are certain times where the truth of God just cuts through all of the stuff that's in our heart and in our mind and just sets us free. Now, Jesus said, you'll know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. Yeah. If you believe it. Yeah. you got to believe it. And so they grab hold of, you got all these unbelievers, the multitude, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, they're grabbing hold of the believer. And, say, and by grabbing hold of them, remember what that means. It means, help me, help me, help me. It means I need assistance. For what? Ultimately, what they want is, I want to go where you go. I want to go where you go. Wherever you're going. Well, you don't know where I'm going. That's okay, I'll go with you. Yeah, I, I want to go wherever it is that you're going. It's a desire to walk where Jesus walks, where we walk. That's the desire. And it's described in a bunch of places. I'm just going to give you just some general ideas about this and maybe get a picture going in your heart, get a picture going in your mind, in your spirit. But it's, it's where sorrow turns to joy. It's where sorrow turns to joy. It's a place of feasting. It's a place of good days and gladness. It's a place where lamentation turns to cheerfulness. And ultimately, you think about in the Bible, in Proverbs, in, in Proverbs 27, it talks about that our lives together, it says iron sharpens iron. And the end of that verse, it talks about how that sharpening process and that process by which we rub on each other, that we live in the same space, it changes our countenance. That's what the end of that verse talks about. And, and I really believe that this, our life, if we will allow it, if we just accept the prophetic word about who we are, our life calls forth others into a fuller place. And I'm not just talking about, I hope you're not hearing me talking about lifestyle evangelism here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about a prophetic truth. I'm talking about a spiritual truth in our life that begins to draw others, that calls out to others. And when it calls forth, it calls them into a fuller place. It calls them into the place where we are. 
and to really begin to believe for that in our lives. To really begin to allow the Holy Spirit to make that real in us and to make that real through us. We have to accept that truth. We have to accept that prophetic word. We have to begin to walk in that prophetic word. It's not enough to just give assent to it like, oh yes, I believe this. Well, then walk in it. Oh, this is the truth. I know it. Well, good. Walk in it. Let's see it happen. Let's see it happen through us. Let's see it happen in our lives and through our lives. Let's see it. Let's experience it. Let's watch it take place. God just doesn't tell us stuff, again, so that we have knowledge of it. He tells us stuff so that we can live it. And in the picture that that the prophet gives us at the beginning of these verses, well, that's the picture for our lives. We're all on our journey, whatever that journey is. You know, dorks, geeks, jocks, whatever, I don't care. Bookworms. We're all on a journey. Music, art, working with our hands, teaching, Whatever it is, we're on a journey. And on that journey, Jesus is the middle of it. He's the center. And we need to have some kind of an expectation for people to just grab hold of that that garment and come with us. God's put you where He's put you for a reason. And there's a spiritual reason that you're there. There's a spiritual reality that you bring to that situation. You need to allow for that and have an expectation it's going to change things. I believe this because I've seen it. I believe it because I've seen it not just in my life but in the life of people that are willing to allow for that this kind of a radical truth could be real. It's so spiritual. How could this be? Well, it just is. Well, you know, I don't have the right... It doesn't matter what your personality is. That's not the point. The point isn't your personality. Isn't The point isn't your limitations. The point isn't what you think about yourself. The point is what God says about you. And to find a place in your life where you can accept that and let that truth really, really begin to live through you. And then we'll see what happens. then you'll see what happens. I already know what happens. You need to know what happens. You need to see it. You need to experience it. You need to know it. You need to let God use you in that way. You see, when the Bible talks about, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about this, the Bible describes Jesus as Emmanuel. Right, Joseph, that was the angel's word to Joseph. He shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, this is the desired effect of God with you. Get it? I mean, really, do you get it? This is the desired effect. 
That's what's supposed to happen. Let's take a moment to pray. I want to pray for you. Father, thanks for... uh, Yeah. Thanks for God with us. Thanks. Thanks for Jesus in us. Thank you for a fullness that you're working on in us. More and more as we accept and as we allow that fullness, it's more and more. As we believe you for what you've said, it's more and more. As we take heed of your word, your prophetic word, your direct teaching over us, it's more and more. As we leave behind the lies and allow your truth to displace it, it's more and more. As your word becomes real and manifest through our life, it's more and more of your fullness in us. I just want to say thanks for that. I want to say thanks that you have more more than we've experienced, more that, that, that we've known, more that we've seen, more. And so God, I pray we begin to believe you at your word. We're going to take and own the prophetic word in our lives. Because we just want to see more. We want the unbelievers to grab hold of our garment. We want the unbelievers to want to come with us wherever we go. God, we... We speak unto you that we'll take the time to do what needs to be done, to say what needs to be said, and to spend the time that needs to be spent. I pray for a supernatural revolution in our lives tonight. I pray a supernatural revolution in our church. And I pray for a supernatural revolution in our neighborhood. A supernatural revolution in the ministries that we represent. A supernatural revolution in our workplaces. I pray for a radical change in what we expect and what we experience in the days ahead. I give you thanks to your God who changes things. And I pray for and I speak change tonight. And I speak it in the name of Jesus. Thanks, Lord. Fill us with your love and fill us with your grace. Fill us with your mercy. As he sings in Jesus' name. Screw by saying Amen. Amen. Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming. And we will see you again. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of the faith community. 
Like the comunidad. No, say a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 